0: to Mose Allison and Alan Toussaint. That's Radio 8-Ball, all one word. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and download our app from the iTunes App Store.
1: I'm Larry Bishop, and you're listening to the World is Wrong podcast.
0: We're here to tell you how the world is wrong. The world is wrong about you. Johnny Cool. <laughs> Welcome to The World is Wrong podcast, an extremely positive podcast where we celebrate films the world is wrong about. I am one of your hosts, and my name is Andras Jones. And I'm Brian Connolly. And what do you do? Uh, I'm a host. <laughs> yeah, you're one of the hosts. We. Uh, It's funny, this is like our 17th episode, we still haven't figured out how to introduce ourselves. (laughs) It's endearing. Uh, So we're here to talk about a film that I suggested, a film from 1963, as we said at the beginning, a film called Johnny Cool. A Henry Silva's starring vehicle that I wasn't aware of until it, it showed up on my radar earlier this year through some nefarious means. Before we get into uh, just into describing it, is there anything you want to say about this, about this film we're about to explore?
2: This is a movie that I saw, like, I think Warner Archive put it out. I don't remember who put the DVD out, but it was always at the video store and no one ever rented it but i was always drawn to the box because of all the people in it and just the fact that there's a movie that stars henry silva is such a rare weird thing such an anomaly that that happened because that's never is that has that happened again (laughs) like usually he's you know the heavy or he's the weirdo or he's in the background but like to have him be the star the titular character if you would uh is exciting and i was was glad that you picked it so i can finally watch it
0: and did it please you
2: it did it much so oh good good <laughs> good, good,
0: good. <laughs> okay well let's play a clip and then uh, let's talk about this let's talk about this film
3: your name really Johnny okay we got a bad start where are you from Chicago I've been there you know
4: anyone a few people Russ Frank Vito who do you know Florida it's diamond Boys you want more names you know mine Jerry March. That's right. Oh, you make quite an impression. My friends hurt pretty bad. You hurt a man's friend, you hurt the man. But that's all country talk. <laughs> I went to school in Rome, two years.
3: About the action. I'll let you know, where do
4: I get in touch? I'm out of the track. I'm out there every day.
3: You're not waiting to see how your friend is.
4: Well, there's nothing I can do for him. I'm not a doctor.
3: You don't really care if you know me or not, do you?
4: Honey, I'm not buying. You couldn't. Then it's easy. Just forget it.
0: Somehow, the combination of The director of the Beach Blanket Bingo Movies, a script based upon a novel by a rabidly anti communist pulp writer, and a producer who was the bridge between Sinatra, Monroe, and the rest of Hollywood to the Kennedy brothers, resulted in a film that doesn't have any idea how terrifying it is. This (laughs) is a movie to watch on two levels. The first is a film about a Sicilian gangster who comes to America to settle a bunch of scores for his boss. Along the way, he meets a great gal and kills some swell people. (laughs) With Henry Silva as the gangster in a rare starring role, a pre-bewitched Elizabeth Montgomery as the woman who gets caught up in his life before she knows what's up, and a bunch of beloved TV and comedy stars getting bloodlessly killed in hails of gunfire, it's the kind of film that seems stuck between the 50s and the 60s, which it is. In a way, you can enjoy as a dated crime drama with a kitschy wink. On another level, this is a terrifying film about the Kennedy assassination. (laughs) Uh, Johnny Cool came out in October of 1963, which means it would have been in theaters in November of 1963 when JFK was assassinated. In the web of theories surrounding this world-rattling event, the mob have come to play a prominent role. The relationship between the Kennedys and the mob is one that's easy to research. So here we have Peter Lawford producing a film about a Sicilian hitman running around America pulling off a series of assassinations, in the year leading up to the actual assassination of Peter Lawford's brother-in-law, JFK, while his other brother-in-law, RFK, is prosecuting the mob. Now, I'm not suggesting anything conspiratorial at all when it comes to the film, only saying that the film can be watched as a cultural time capsule in a way that goes way beyond kitsch. Everything that feels fake about the film reads to me as the innocence we are always told to associate with the early 60s before the JFK assassination. And because of the black-and-white TV aesthetic, it can almost feel like a Twilight Zone, where the big reveal happens 34 days after the film's release. (laughs) If I may... You are entering a world where Henry Silva is a leading man. Where a woman we know to be a witch has forgotten her powers. A world of invisible bullets, inscrutable intrigue, and a man with the voice of Mr. Magoo. You are entering the Johnny Cool Zone. <laughs> That's, a, that's not a very good Rod Serling impression, but, you know, you get the, you get the, you get the idea. So, that's Johnny Cool. So, so uh, how is the world wrong about this movie? I think I just told you. I think I did this backwards. There you go. Yeah. That's, I mean, first of all, nobody, I don't know anyone who has seen this movie. Yeah, me neither. And I certainly had not been aware of it at all. And I, I I I don't know about it at all from the world of cinema. Nor have I heard anyone ever talk or write about this in the world of JFK assassination theories. Which there have been times when I've gone down that rabbit hole to a certain extent. I've just and this has never come up. And as I said in my description, I'm saying that this film that came out. Over a month before Kennedy was assassinated uh, predicts or is about this event. and obviously I don't I'm not suggesting that the filmmakers had any idea of that. but as a viewer, being aware of the timing, being aware of the story, seeing Peter Lawford's name as one of the producers, it's really hard to watch it and not think about the Kennedy assassination yeah. while you're watching it.
2: Yeah yeah it, it definitely <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like there's a lot of stuff that kind of raises those those alarms when you watch it, like there's a character named miss Connolly, my last name, a last name that's not in a lot of movies, and of course then that makes you think of uh the Connolly that was part of the in the, the parade in the Gen- the Kennedy said John Connolly mm-hmm. who was in the uh the thing. And so that was interesting. And yeah, just sort of like the way in this movie that the mob is just kind of like, kind of just killing people out in the open. <laughs> just like Henry Silva will just shoot someone in the street and like it just, you know, run away and get away with it. It just, there's just a lot of weird, yeah,
0: connections
2: for sure.
0: So how do we want to approach this? I guess let's let's just start talking purely about the film. Because there's... Yeah. On its own, that's what I'm saying, is on its own, What you, if you don't know anything about the Kennedy assassination and you don't care, still, a a gangster movie from 1963 starring Henry Silva and Elizabeth Montgomery, if that doesn't get you just sort of curious, well, then when I tell you that the rest (laughs) of the cast includes Jim Backus, Joey Bishop, Mort Saul, Telly Savalas, and Sammy Davis Jr., (laughs) have i got your interest now (laughs) i mean it's that is definitely worth 103 minutes of your time so yeah
2: yeah and it's weird because you'd think that like peter lawford produces movie that they wouldn't want to put like him in the movie or like one of the more you know notable rat packers but instead they went with henry silva who was like who paled around with them he definitely was like part or like you know to the side of the rat pack he definitely hung out with those
0: guys is
2: henry silva is he italian american like what is his ethnicity
0: i can never tell silva was born in brooklyn new york of sicilian and spanish descent interesting
2: all right so he is sicilian okay so there's that <laughs> but then <laughs> but like yeah this the mix of like real players like like sammy davis junior with like, yeah, Jim Backus and Elizabeth Montgomery. It's just like, it's this odd, like you said, this odd, like it feels sort of TV, but then it will completely not feel like TV. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's a, just a odd feeling watching this movie because it's from the early sixties. You're like, you accept the kind of clunky TV-ness of it, especially with those actors, But then this sort of, like, brutality sneaks in that is very unlike anything that was on TV in 1963 that is shocking when you watch the movie and jarring.
0: Yeah. Uh, The way I think about it is that it's, like, the film is, has intense psychological violence put together with completely clean, not show any of the violence... Of physical violence so like when someone's shot it's almost always off screen you hear an explosion you hear someone scream and fall down and then later on we find out how or the brutal like what was brutal about that killing because of people's reaction or the way they retell it and like so you feel this violence but you never see it yeah and when i'm looking at like uh, crime films of that era so the killing Stanley Kubrick's The Killing is 56. Touch of Evil is 58. Breathless is 1960. And none of those films... Like, all of those films are better movies. And the action... When there's violence, the act, it looks like violence, but it yeah. doesn't feel... The, the violence doesn't feel as ugly as it does in Johnny Cool. Like, if you watched johnny cool uh if if they showed you all the violence that they imply in johnny cool it would be a brutally violent movie (laughs) yeah
2: very much so and I, i wonder if it's upsetting because it has this sort of like like all the sets look like sets it looks like a cheap tv studio you know like so which is usually a safe place like you especially in 63 you're thinking like Oh yeah, okay, leave it to Beaver and I love Lucy and like Car Fifty Four, are you and all these things. And then now you're in these sets, but you're talking about like this brutal thing that happened to you or this death, or like, and so it's very unnerving the whole time. Uh, and it's just it's like someone broke into a a te- television show and started killing people, <laughs> and we and this is a snuff film. We are watching it.
0: Yeah. Oh, and it, but it also does it. Also, for the time, it does feature some really great shots of, like, location shots, like walking around New York City or L.A. or Chicago, like, those kind of, that also feels, that has that more of that breathless kind of feel. Or, like, I'm thinking of other films from the 60s, like, I guess it's earlier than that, but Sweet Smell of Success has some of that as well, but that, like... Cinema Verite sixties thing. So yeah, so it, it it has so it's it has all these beloved TV actors getting killed on these sets that we think of as being <laughs> very safe. Uh I just oh I wanted to connect it again. So again, looking at the crime films of the time, a year after this we get the killers, and that's the first film that I can think of that feels like this one. Mm-hmm. Which was also, I believe, The Killers was originally shot as, was intended as a TV TV movie, but it was too brutal, and so it got got released as a feature. Uh, And I gotta feel like there's some connection between these films. Like, was it Don Siegel who made The Killers? Yeah. Yeah, like, he must have seen this film and been like, oh boy, you missed it. But if we can do, (laughs) if you could do this then I could do this, and I could really do it. Like, if you're going to have psych- implied <laughs> psychological violence, then let's have a little bit more of the physical violence, and let's get Lee Marvin in there instead of, <laughs> instead of Henry Silva. Although Henry Silva's pretty great. I'm so glad we have this film because of him. So shall we break down the film just a little bit? Tell people a little bit about it?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So... It starts in Sicily in 1943, and there's a lot of violence in the very beginning. This, the first scene, kind of sets up the whole vibe of the film. Like, <laughs> if you watch the first two minutes, three minutes of this movie, and you're in, then you're going to love the rest of it. Even though it, it changes, you know, it changes settings and characters a lot. But it basically it starts off. It's it's the war. It's Sicily in 1943 and johnny is a just a kid his mother's about to be killed by a fascist soldier and johnny runs up and saves her by pulling a pin from a grenade on the soldier's belt and the soldier explodes bloodlessly and another soldier shows up and shoots johnny's mother and before he can kill johnny a partisan shoots the soldier and calls johnny to run and johnny looks down at his dead mother who, again, we don't see. We just see a shot of a motorcycle. And so to me, it's like when I'm watching this, I'm like, oh, it's so sad. His, that soldier shot his mom and turned her into a motorcycle. That's terrible. <laughs> and then he runs to the partisans. And when the partisans offer to send him home to his family, Johnny holds up his new machine gun and says, this is my family now. Dun, dun, dun. That's the opening your movie. <laughs>
2: I love it. I just... All movies should start with a fascist blowing
0: up. <laughs> and a kid, like a 10-year-old kid holding up a machine gun and saying that this is my family now. <laughs> so let me move to the 1950s. And uh, a character, an actor named Richard Anderson, who those of you who are fans of The Six Million Dollar Man will remember him as Oscar Goldman. I think he was, wasn't he also, he was also in Paths of Glory, right? I believe he was I am
2: not Glory. sure.
0: Anyway, so he's taking pictures and covering a big Italian wedding, and Johnny is now Giordano, a bearded Henry Silva in big, dark wraparound sunglasses, sort of like Nicolas Cage wears in the movie Deadfall.
4: I didn't know that uh, you spoke English so well. You American GIs in war, I learned from them. In Sicily, always like that. From each invader we take something my mother could sing in greek french always invaded my grandfather he could sing the songs of the arabs and moors all of them dead now from germans to get this how how did you get it same like gis kill germans you're saying that you fought with the americans against the germans no in war you fight for yourself for your own people nobody else but the war is over As long as people are hungry, there will be war.
0: Yeah, Yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah. And the wedding is interrupted by violence, and Johnny and the father of the bride are chased down by an army helicopter. It might be the father of the bride or his partner. We're not sure because he's shot very quickly and gone from the scene. And Johnny is wounded, and when the soldiers track him down, the colonel shoots him in the face. But does he? We then see the colonel take a prisoner or a soldier... Uh, From an airplane and this guy looks like Johnny and he makes this soldier change into the clothes of Johnny's dead body and then he walks off screen and we hear shots again like this is an intensely violent thing they've they've brought an innocent person in to be killed maybe a soldier maybe a prisoner to be killed so that uh, Johnny has this cover story and. That's a terrible. Like, if that was a Martin Scorsese scene, you'd hear, you'd you'd hear, you see him realize it, you'd see him try and fight back, and be, you know, dragged away and beaten while he screams, and then this, he just walks off. We hear a couple of shots. Okay, nice. No muss, no fuss. <laughs> I know, so. It's it's just treated like what's for breakfast. Like, <laughs> uh, so. So all of this turns out all this was the plot of an American gangster named Johnny Collini, played by Mark Lawrence, who is hiding out in Italy after faking his own death. Collini is played with understated menace, like someone out of a Scorsese or Coppola gangster film. And... Uh, He's a character who if you recognize Mark Lawrence you might recognize him as a character who played hoods and gangsters from the mid 30s through the 1990s. I love
2: I love him. He's great, like he's great in Diamonds Are Forever. Oh yeah. He has the great line. He has a great line of I didn't know there was a pool down there after they throw the lady off the building and she lands in the pool and he's great in Four Rooms as sort of like the What is he, like the older Belha? I don't really remember what he is, but he's in four rooms and he's hanging and he's palling around with Tim Roth for some of the movie. But he's just a good, dependable character actor with an amazing face.
0: Yeah, yeah. So the whole point of this was that he wanted to fake Giordano's death because, in his words,
3: I I have a particular use for your kind of violence.
0: (laughs) So basically, Colini makes a deal with Giordano They should take on the name of Johnny Cool, which was uh, Johnny Collini's gangster nickname back in the States, and to go back to go to America and settle a bunch of scores, people who ratted on Johnny Collini or, you know, or people who maybe used the mob to win an election and then turned around and went after the mob in a series (laughs) of congressional hearings uh, oh no! Uh, so uh, so anyway, so Henry Silva shows up in Vegas and sees Elizabeth Montgomery hanging out in a bar with a a character who's coded very much as sort of like her gay friend. Like they're they're on a date, but he feels the vibe. I think, I think even uh, at one point Johnny Cool says to her, Adrian.
4: You mean the beard? No, are you
3: always so vicious,
0: which was this guy. And he has a beard, but it also people who will know that a beard is also a term for uh, a non-romantic other sexed partner to just smooth the the social wheels. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this scene at the bar that he has, doesn't this have some Scorsese, this some Scorsese shine box kind of yeah. feeling to you? definitely like, again that, yeah. really bloodless very like it's it's different like no one gets well, it's, it's beaten the thi- to death it, but it, it's
2: that thing where it's like the guy is just being very casual about insulting johnny cole just sort of like yeah beat it kid like yeah you know, get your fucking shine box sort of line and then but a, a more cool tempered than joe pesci and goodfellas then just they like, beats the hell out of these guys <laughs> in like or like de niro well, sort of way you know like but with hiding the brutality because it's a uh, 1963, but it has that well, sort of like, and also
0: tur- he's just, he's got this one killer karate chop rather than <laughs> like, no, he stomping, just gives him one karate. chop. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <Like> you're down. <laughs> I'm, and I'm trying to remember, like trying to think of like when the karate chop thing like became a thing and, and, uh, in movies and TV, when was it brought from Sicily into
2: films to use for choreography of fight scenes? Uh,
0: yeah, <laughs> but this 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 show of macho violence just turns Elizabeth Montgomery on. She's just like completely. Excited by, and, and she makes a point of like saying, Oh, like something about like, you're a real man, or like there's like, she she's clearly into the violence of this guy. Yeah. And uh, so much so that the next day she f- tracks him down.
3: I'm 27. I grew up in Scarsdale with all the advantages races, dancing school, riding lessons, the whole bit. I've been divorced for about a year from a boy who grew up the same way. He Well. You've seen Adrian.
4: Yes. So what do you do for kicks now?
3: There haven't been many. Until last night. I want to know you. All men look like men, but so few really are.
0: She ends up getting wrapped up in his world, but she, it's not like he dragged her into this. No, he doesn't like seem she's... to
2: care. It seems like he's just doing his job, and she's just like, I want to be with you. And he's like, okay. okay.
0: <laughs> I mean, I got some killing to do, but there's uh, <laughs> always time for a little roly-poly with a witch. <laughs> uh 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 so anyway so she she tracks him down she's turned on by his violence uh and then they go back to her hotel room and he gets a call from the mobsters to come downstairs to a craps game with uh sammy davis jr in an eye patch (laughs) and this scene there's so much going on like this movie i'm so confused by this movie I can't tell if it's sophisticated or not. Like so, there's this whole thing, where, in this craps game, the the mobsters keep calling Johnny Cool Boy. Yeah. Okay, boy. And but it's the scene with Sammy Davis Jr. So there's clearly there's the I feel like the movie is saying these guys are racist. Yeah. But it doesn't quite. I feel like it doesn't quite understand like it doesn't connect the dots like they aren't being racist to Sammy Davis Jr. I mean they are because he's in the room but they're directing it at Henry Silva who I don't think has the same like he doesn't have the same cultural like <laughs> s- triggers around being called boy so it's a, it's like a weird thing it's like it's like you know there's a short person in the room and you keep calling the tall guy short and you're like <laughs> I guess this is an insult, I, but you have to be really... Like, the coding is just really strange. That might have been um, what it was
2: like to hang out with the Rat Pack, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. It's maybe that they had some off-color names, jokingly or not, for other people, but they were cool with Sammy Davis Jr., you know? Like So maybe it's a window into what that, was, that experience was like.
0: I don't know. So do you understand how craps work enough to understand what happens in I, this... Isn't it like you, I don't, I, you know, I'm so terrible
2: at gambling. I don't even attempt it, but I think it's like you roll the dice and you have to, if you get a certain number, that's bad. <laughs> but if you get a certain other number, it's good. But like, don't you put, like you put chips on a, like, don't you put chips on certain numbers? And then if you get a thing, like, I don't know. I'm an idiot. I have no idea. But like yeah, I don't know very well. Like you, I I've watched I know he's so rolling dice, and, and they're I've, and they're all like, "Ooh, he's rolled that dice," or "Oh no, he don't roll that dice." And that's like all they really give you in movies when people play
0: craps, right? And something it's, anyway. So the point is, Sammy Davis Jr. I guess is like this super shooter. Like he's this guy who they bring in to be the ringer to make sure that Johnny loses. But he immediately takes charge of the game, gets a hold of the gun of a gun. Forces Sammy Davis to roll different numbers so that he wins all the money, and then leaves and leaves Sammy Davis with these mobsters. And it's again implied these mobsters are going to kill him because what? Because it's really hard to tell what he did that was wrong. Yeah, like he he's there. He does his job for the mob. These guy Johnny Cool takes them all hostage. Sort of makes him role in a different way which is all still pretty impressive like the guy can clearly choose which you know what his role is going to be unless there's some implied thing about loaded dice i don't know it's really confusing and then you just sort of see sammy this is again this movie that doesn't quite know its tone like is this played for laughs like it's sort of like sammy davis jr almost gives like a wink to the camera like I guess I'm going to get killed. But... <laughs> well, and he looks kind of silly too. It's not like a, it's like with his eye patch and stuff, he has a,
2: he's, he's a caricature, a caricature, you know, like it's, uh, it's, it is. Yeah. It does feel like it should be kind of funny, but then it's not
0: funny. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's he's going to get killed weird. by these racist Italian monsters who are blaming him for something that wasn't his fault. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, so while this crap game's going on, if you if, the, if that wasn't disturbing enough, so so while all this violence is going on downstairs, the mob has sent these two guys pretending to be cops to try and get information about out of Elizabeth Montgomery. And when they can't get information out of her, the mob tells them to leave her something to remember them by, which they take as a cue to, to rape her. So it's, uh, sorry, trigger, trigger warning. And like this, I don't know, again, like with this, like this, uh, film, this podcast d- isn't quite sure where the, where the triggers are. So, uh, but that's that, you know, uh, Samantha from Bewitched gets raped by these mobsters pretending to be cops. And when Henry Silva, Johnny Cool comes back to the hotel room and finds out what happened, Uh, We don't really see it on his face, but the music tells us that he is furious. Yeah. And he takes a sharp kitchen knife and heads off into the city streets. Uh, Did you notice this? He walks by an awning that says Italian hero sandwiches (laughs) prominently (laughs) twice. (laughs) And I was like, oh, that's all right. That's some clever, that's some clever imagery. That's nice. Some cinematic language. Good job. Yeah. so and then he he uh so he goes back to where I don't know how he knows where these guys are going to be but he finds them and basically we see him stab them but we don't really get what was going on do you, what did you think was going on in that scene when he stabs them Yeah
2: what do you what do you mean Does he just stabs them right I mean
0: okay well yeah but then we're told after when one of the mobsters informs the big boss played by telly Savallis. the
3: boy heard him vince well take care of it don't come to me what's so important a boy comes here and uses a name and uses a gun at a crap table the gun he used was a beretta and he called you don vincente now here in the papers where they say mutilated the men were marked, like in the old country when somebody took revenge for rape. Rape. Well, I I sent him to this girl he was with to see what they could find out, and they made tricks with her,
2: and that's why the boy marked her.
0: So basically, he cuts their dicks off in oh, the scene. Oh, I didn't what? even
2: catch that. Wow, <laughs> with a kitchen Again. knife too.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, just like it's it's like you don't it's it's like is this is one of those weird movies where if you're just sort of like. Watching this on TNT in the afternoon on a lazy Sunday, you could very easily miss all these things because they're all off screen and they're all just kind of treated like nonchalantly. So you can think of this as like, oh, that's just like that pleasant kind of shitty version of a film noir from the early 60s. Or if you're doing what you're doing, where you're actually paying strict attention to it, you're like, this movie is very uh, disturbing. (laughs) There's very upsetting things going on, you know, off camera. (laughs) That if you're not listening to it, like you're not, you're gonna miss that, yeah, that does I totally miss that that's what happened to those guys, but that's definitely what that means for
0: sure. And you know, and just like this idea and then the last shot is him walking away, throwing his knife in the in the trash can. And then again, there's that awning of Italian hero sandwiches. <laughs> He'll cut your sausages, boys. You and you, you know, the hero taking revenge for these guys who raped this woman, and like it's <laughs> Uh, it's, it's such a weird, like, again, I, when that, when that scene happened, I didn't see anything. And then when they described it, I went back and looked at it and you get a lot of this, like the people's reactions when they get killed in these terrible ways. Like they show this guy's reaction shot of like, of falling away to the car and then Mm -hmm. slumping to the ground but you don't like. There's nothing on his face that says someone just cut my dick off. <laughs> yeah, it sort of says someone just punched me in the stomach, and now I'm gonna fall over. But <laughs> anyway, uh, so anyway, so as we continue, so at this point, Johnny has is definitely on the mob's radar, and they're all well, who is this Johnny? Cool? What is it? You know, it can't be the real guy. Uh, they're trying to figure out who he is. And this is when Johnny gets called up to meet Telly Savalas. And this scene, again, it feels like a movie from much later when he starts talking about the drugs and the drugs from mm-hmm. the growers to the corporations. It sounds like it's something out of The French Connection or mm-hmm. The Godfather.
4: You want names, places? How about I give you the locations in Turkey or Mexico where it's grown? Or the name of the importer in Marseille and which of his ships brings it in? The pharmaceutical houses in Milano that the process it into H? Or if that's all too far away, how about the name of the wholesale jobber over in Jersey, who handles over a ton of Benzedrine a month?
3: You talk like a mystery story. Here we're legitimate business.
0: Yeah. Again, this weird sophistication about mob stuff in this movie that is not sophisticated about human stuff. Like, <laughs> uh, so, uh, Johnny Cool. Threatens Savalas, the whole syndicate, everyone, and gives them, gives them 24 hours to pay up, which is like the whole thing, to give him, to transfer the syndicate to Johnny Cool. And he walks out. And because he's he's bluffing like he has an army, but he doesn't. He's just one guy on the A guy alone. So uh Savalas then plans to kidnap Elizabeth Montgomery and bring someone in from Sicily to ID Johnny. And this is when. Johnny basically makes Elizabeth Montgomery, who's at, I mean, she's just, she's in total PTSD mode. She's just been raped by these two guys. She's in this strange fog of love for this violent man that she loves. And, uh, he just, and so she, he makes her his partner in crime. Let's, we should talk a little bit about this, because this is a, this is a trope in films that I'm, you know, we, we sort of, uh, Skated lightly over this when we're talking about Teresa Russell and Dustin Hoffman's relationship in straight time. But this is the second time we have a woman who for no reason that uh for no easily logical reasons ends up just totally committed to a violent and dangerous man who you you know we're watching and being like, why why? Why? <laughs> like I, and, and I'll say I've been in enough relationships with women who went out with asshole guys or jerky guys to know that there is some kind of pull. And these are not like people who are, you know, people who are obviously, you know, ch- children of abuse or something like they're replaying some primal story like that. But, you know, that it's, just, it's a thing that many people who have encountered so i'm i'm not just making this up that there is some draw of the violent alpha dangerous guy for some women yeah. but we were talking about this before like is this when you watch that do you buy it or do you think this is a male screenwriter's idea of the way <laughs> women act well it's it's weird because
2: it's like it's definitely this like toxic masculinity that's going on in this movie and when and in like in 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 uh, in, in the Dustin Hoffman movie uh straight, straight time. time and uh, it's like definitely like it's not just like oh i like to eat meat and i'm a man it's like i kill people i'm a bank robber you know like it's like extra <laughs> extra toxic mm. masculinity <laughs> And I when I watch, and I was the one I think who had brought it up on on that on the straight time episode. It was just like, I just, why would you be with this crazy person? Like, what are you getting? this? is it thrilling? Is this a male fantasy that they just hope that they can like like if they were just tough like this, they could get you know a lady to follow them around? But like, I equally don't uh, believe it when you watch a movie with a, a very the slobby shitty guy who is no, who's not masculine at all. (laughs) I'm equally confused by why women fall for like Seth Rogen in certain movies too. I'm also like, why would they be with this dud? So maybe I'm just not, don't agree with women being with anybody, any guy. (laughs) (laughs) It does. None of it make sense. Are you going to have to get a guy who's in the middle? Who's like, you're a pothead slob, but occasionally you know how to like fix a car or, you know, build a fire. But, like, that's, <laughs> that's maybe the ultimate man. <laughs> but, like, this... Yeah, and this, it's, like, because, like, the first... Like, we said, like, the first time she sees Johnny Cool, he's just beating the hell out of these karate chopping, judo chopping these guys in the bar. And it's just, like, that's the guy. I'm with this guy. and And he's... It's not even, like, him seducing her or anything. She's just, like, drawn to the violence and to this, like... Emotionalist guy like Johnny Cool isn't like telling jokes. He's not suave. He's kind of dead and cold, because it's Henry Silva. (laughs) Like so, like it's it's uh, it's it's odd, especially in this movie. Because like you can get in straight time, like Dustin Hoffman is charismatic in his weird little way in that movie. You know, in the way that he flirts with her with Teresa Russell in the temp in the temp office or the job search office. But in this one, like Henry Silva is just sort of like you're coming for me. Like you're coming at, you're looking at for me. Like, and he's just kind of, he's going along for the ride. She's the one pursuing him. So it's very weird, especially after like she pursues him and therefore gets caught up in in an even more violent, terrible life than she ever intended to live. I'm sure. And yet still sticks around to continue hanging out with this guy. Very weird. Yeah.
0: I mean, she has, she has like monologues in this where she's like later in the film where she's like, I know all this terrible, stu- terrible stuff that happened. But if he walked in right now, I would throw myself at him. I couldn't I couldn't help myself. You know, I mean, I've I guess I'm I'm mean, I've probably been had crushes on some pretty, you know, on women who were not necessarily great for me. And I can, I guess I could kind of understand that. I mean, I, I think if I saw them kill someone or if being with them ended up with me being. <laughs> Raped by two guys? I think I might... <laughs> Maybe. I don't right. You don't know. I, you know, I've I never know. been
2: that position, so I can't. I can't say really. But it is interesting that the director of this movie did end up marrying Elizabeth Montgomery, so she was okay with this director who had these violent images in his mind.
0: <laughs> so, like. Yeah, William Asher of the of Beach Blanket Bingo fame. And also, he was the producer of Bewitched. So he met Elizabeth Montgomery on this and was like, ooh. You can almost kind of feel like this. You feel like the director, like the movie fell in love with Elizabeth Montgomery in a way that I don't think it might have if it was a different actress. Yeah. Like there's a way... She, like, she's really, really featured in this. And, yeah. I, and she's great. I mean, she's Elizabeth Montgomery. We love her. But she's not bewitched Elizabeth Montgomery yet. This is just, this is kind of her breakout. Yeah. And she certainly impressed the director because he married her. And you can just, when you watch the film knowing that, you can kind of see, uh, like, maybe her role gets, gets expanded in some ways. And also, there's a way that, maybe if the if she wasn't if the film if the director didn't love her so much wasn't falling in love with her I think it might there might be more continuity or consistency to the character because there are there's ways in which she just goes between being like completely flipped out and traumatized to then like later on dancing at a party and having a great time and like she's just is she a good girl? Is she a bad girl? We don't know. She's yeah. just Elizabeth Montgomery, and we love her. That's all we know. <laughs> you know, fun, so,
2: uh, fun fact, George Segal was cast as Johnny Cool, but quit because of too much Elizabeth Montgomery. Shut up. <laughs> no, no, I I'm heard kidding. that it was actually... I'm, I'm I heard doesn't... it was actually Ronnie Blakely <laughs> was, and...
0: Replaced.
2: <laughs> By another television star. Uh... <laughs> Sorry. But, like it, like, I think, like, it's weird... Because, like, I can't imagine, like, it's hard for me to understand what it would be like watching this movie in 1963. Because watching this movie in 2020, it's hard to shake Elizabeth Montgomery as the lady from Bewitched. Or Jim Backus as, you know, the, the millionaire from Gilligan's Island. So watching these people, these beloved people from my childhood, be treated in such br- with such brutality... <laughs> Is, is extra upsetting. Like, I feel a layer of upsetting that didn't exist when you watched this in 63. Right. Right? It would be like if Mickey Mouse was in something and then he got raped or shot in his stomach. And then later he was in the Mickey Mouse Club and in cartoons. <laughs> and then we look back and be like, man, that's rough. <laughs> extra oh, rough no. now. <laughs> so it's like, it just makes it all the more... Like, you really... I feel it a lot. Like, when those guys do those bad things to Elizabeth Montgomery, like, it's, to me, like, extra, like, why did they do that to the lady from Bewitched? She's so nice. This is terrible. It's, yeah, it makes for a weird... Another weird layer to this movie.
0: So, adding the weird layers. So, now Elizabeth Montgomery is basically his partner in crime. So, the first... The first third of this movie it's just all about Johnny. Now it's like it has this takes on this weird sort of domestic Bonnie and Clyde kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like so she's now his partner and she goes and she's like helping by renting cars and parking them in these different places so that he can so that he can fly all over the place killing these people and making it seem like there's a, he has an army with him while it's just him doing all the dirty work, and uh, this is when we get to meet Joey Bishop, who's doing <laughs> a commercial for uh he like works on a used car lot and he's doing commercials for cars. Great, scene. and then sells yeah sells the, the car to Elizabeth Montgomery, so that's our second Rat Packer in the in the film I guess third if you include the producer Peter Lawford we got Joey Bishop. Peter Lawford, and uh, Sammy Davis Jr. So I guess the sort of, no offense to Sammy Davis Jr., who I love, but from the standpoint of the time, probably the low-rent Rat Packers. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, it's like if it was the Brat Pack, and it was it's sort of like a, a movie with Ali Sheedy and Andrew McCarthy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, maybe yeah. Mayor Winningham. <laughs> like they're they're, they're brat packers, but it's not Rob Lowe and you know.
2: yeah, <laughs> Robert Downey uh, Jr.
0: and yeah. Rob, yeah. So uh... <laughs> was 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 Robert Downey Jr.? I don't think I think he was post brat pack.
2: I guess you're right. He just hung out with them. Like I guess I always it's weird. I always group him and John Cusack with them, but I think they were a little too young. They're kind of like the little brothers to the uh, Judd Nelsons and the uh, Emilio Estevez's Rob Lowe's. Right. Right.
0: Um, <laughs> anyway, so, uh, so yeah, so they have this, Johnny, Joey Bishop has this nice scene and surprisingly, he doesn't get killed. I he's know. He's still fine. Yeah. Joey I think Bishop been, lives.
2: That would have been too mean. Cause like that scene is one of the more funnier scenes in the movie. Yeah. And the one if he's, he's, he's trying
0: got... to find out where Elizabeth Montgomery lives so that so he can go to her house, he, like she... <laughs> For a woman who's just had a, survived a sexual assault, she takes his trying to figure out where she has her hotel so that he can get there in stride. Uh, but uh, but she does she does put him off and say, "Hey, no way, buddy! I'm driving away. I, I'm I've got another dangerous man to go find." Meantime, this is when Jim Backus shows up as a character. Does Jim Backus look like a Santangelo to you? <laughs> Mr. Santangelo,
2: back! His laugh is his laugh is the best.
0: So he's a business guy planning on condemning 300 feet of public street to build a boondoggle, and we start to see this thing of like we meet someone and they're doing something sketchy, so that it's going to be okay when Johnny kills them. Like there's <laughs> there, we see we. It's sort of like this series of morality plays. So. uh so he's about to pull this boondoggle and he's walking these guys out. And this is my one of my favorite moments in the film. On the way out, leading his... So he it, Jim Backus leads these guys out of the room talking like Jim Backus. And then when he gets past the door and we can't see his face anymore, he starts talking like Mr. McGoo. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, again, the director is having a lot of fun. He's just, I feel like he's just firing wildly. Like he doesn't know what movie he's making. He's just he's this movie is making itself <laughs> through him. He's just like, I'm in love with Elizabeth Montgomery. I can't think about directing a movie. Yeah, yeah let's make make a Mr. Magoo joke and then let's, let's
2: kill him. Let's pause for a second and talk about William Masher for a moment. Because like yeah. he he's not he's not a visionary. Like he's not like when you look at his filmography he is just sort of like a guy for hire to do episodes of your TV show. Like he like he just did... He did this movie, a bunch of the Beach Blanket bingo movies, and then like episodes of TV shows that I know where's the show, like the Private Benjamin TV show and episodes of Alice and uh, just the Paul Lind show and of course Bewitched. And to make this weird, violent, strange anomaly only makes more sense when you look at his movie uh, he made in 1981 called Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker, a.k.a. Night Warning, which is one of the best exploitation movies of the 80s.
3: So shocking, so terrifying, so powerful. Night Warning has been named best horror film of the year by the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror. Billy and Julie, young, innocent in love. It was all a mistake. They didn't go looking for trouble. They were just too curious. Without knowing, they've uncovered a deadly secret. They've stumbled onto a grisly murder. Now they know too much to live. A chilling tale of a young boy and girl, innocent victims, now targets of a frenzied obsession with murder. See the award-winning Night Warning.
2: It stars Susan Terrell. It begins with one of the most violent car crashes in movie, maybe the most in movie history. And the movie is brutal and it's mean. And it's very much like this in a way where it's like the filmmaking isn't really above pedestrian, but but then there's these flourishes of just like uber violence. And in that movie, it does not leave things to the imagination. Like in that movie, because it's 1981, I guess, he goes all out. It's almost like... He's making these like fun sitcommy type things, and then but within him is this rage and this (laughs) bloodlust that he must unleash every twenty years (laughs) in a movie, (laughs) and it's just like and and but Johnny Cool is the better version of it because it is like a TV pilot fighting against itself to become this brutal Don Siegel movie, you know, like a Robert Aldrich movie, and. That's I think that's why he's an interesting filmmaker. Like his few, very few movies, like his last movie is Return to Green Acres. That's his swan song. <laughs> but yet that guy had within him two very violent, terrifying, weird character studies. Um, interesting guy, <laughs> to say the least.
0: I'm just looking up Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. Oh. That opening car crash oh. was... Uh... The cinematographer on that was Jan de Bont.
2: Yeah, which makes sense because he has filmed a few crazy car crashes because there's the crazy one in, uh, what is it called? The Fourth Man, the Paul Verhoeven movie, has a brutal, and I believe that was Jan de Bont. And isn't there a crazy car crash in Basic Instinct, I think? Maybe, maybe I'm making well, that up. he also, also made a,
0: he made a movie, of, didn't he make a movie about a, about a bus?
2: <laughs> oh, Speed, yeah, Speed. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, yeah, visionary Yann De Bont, <laughs> but but that's what's crazy about like like Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker looks so much better because he has Yann De Bont as cinematographer. Whereas like the Johnny Cool, the way Johnny Cool looks, kind of reminds me of the way Psycho looks, like like in a way, like not clearly not as good, but how Hitchcock for that movie kind of took his, Albert Hitchcock present crew to like make a movie on the fly, and so it has that kind of like the sets kind of look like sets you have some scenes that have that kind of stand sta- like i'm talking about johnny cool now that has that yeah. you know basic like wide shot close up co- coverage setup but then there's these weird weird flourishes in johnny cool like these weird artful shots of like telesevalas's building or like the faces being stretched out in the mirror at the bar or when they go to Vegas for the first time in Vegas, like you all these shots of the mirrors and the ceiling kind of distorting things. So it's like a weird, odd mix of like yeah, close-up white shot stage, like TV kind of directing to like weird arty stuff kind of fit into it.
0: It's like shoehorned into it. I mean, it does kind of feel like it's a movie it's a sort of it's a movie made by a not visionary director. Who like I feel like he's falling in love with the love of his life. He's make he's shooting a film like he's a man in love. Like oh oh that would be cool. Okay yeah let's uh, let's do that. Let's have some cinema verite shots. But then let's also have these shot shots on the sets. Let's do this brutal violence. But then let's have a goofy Mister. Mago- I'm just having so much fun on this set. Let's just do. It. Let's just. <laughs> I feel like he's showing up every day and just like being like okay let's just go with it. Let's yeah. You know, and you, uh, whatever. It's like, it's not like this film is going to like have incredible impact and meaning in 34 days. <laughs> <laughs> when everyone's going to be concerned about assassins for, like, I guess for the next decade. Anyway, can we get back to, to Jim Backus? Because. Please, please. <laughs> so he's walked out feeling confident doing his Mr. Magoo, and then we see Johnny cool and he's doing this thing with this briefcase and he's got this whole briefcase thing going and we're, you know, I'm watching, I'm thinking, Oh, he's going to blow up Mr. Howell. <laughs> uh, and he meets Jim Backus in the bar at the train station and they, and he does, they do the briefcase switch. And then Jim Backus as Santangelo goes and walks away. And we think he's going to blow him up in this train station, but instead Henry Silva runs after him and was like, hey, you have my case. I have your case. He's like, no, no, no. I'm sure it's my case. And I was like, no, no, no. You got mine. Look, he opens it up and inside there's a gun and he shoots him with it <laughs> in the middle of this crowd. And I was like, why didn't you just walk up and shoot him? I know I did not really get, you know, again, it's whatever. It's it's movie stuff, but it was definitely a little bit of a red herring. I was expecting a big explosion. Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry, folks explosions will be coming so Elizabeth Montgomery has rented this car for him with a camera in it and it's waiting for Johnny at the airport meanwhile Savalas uh Telly Savalas with and here's Elisha Cook shows up in this film yeah what is how'd you get Elisha Cook to do this tiny little role as one (laughs) of the bosses doesn't have a lot to say but is the most interesting person in all of the scenes that he's in and they they meet with the Sicilian they brought in who doesn't know anything about Johnny. So they're trying to figure out, like, what is this? They're still trying to figure out who this Johnny guy is. Meanwhile, Johnny drives around Vegas, early 60s shots of Vegas on the strip. Really great to look at. There's a, a fun marquee for a show with Jimmy Durante and Peter Lawford. So the producer got his name in there again. Then he gets to Vegas. I think this is in Vegas, and he meets with A character named Mr. Hines is played by John MacGyver. And if you see him, you'll recognize him. He's another one of those character actors who was in lots of episodes. I'm sure he was a recurring character on Bewitched. And he's just one of those TV guys always playing businessmen, bankers and such. But he's a bad guy. He's shaking down this poor woman for passing bad checks. And we kind of get the idea that he's going to make her either have sex with him or work it off as a prostitute mm-hmm. and uh so she did you pick up on that
2: no <laughs> i did not
0: this the 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 sex and the violence in this film is so low-key you can you can watch it and just not even notice it. i'm just such an innocent <laughs> i guess <laughs> I so uh so We know Johnny's coming to kill this guy, but before he does, he's downstairs just spreading money around and flirting with these ladies. And meanwhile, we see Mort Saul walk by uh, as a character named Ben Morrow. And he's walking through the casino when someone recognizes him and says, uh, calls him delivery boy. I guess, I don't know, I, I don't know what that's about. I think, I guess he works for the mob.
2: Mm-hmm. So anyway,
0: Johnny goes upstairs to meet with Mr. Hines, who's waiting with a shotgun, and Johnny takes it and beats him to death with it. Again, off screen. <laughs> takes the gun, John, John MacGyver falls down, we see him smash the gun down, and we know he's dead. Again, this is just like, again, the all the, like, if the, I want I, I want to see, I want to see, Martin Scorsese remake Johnny Cool. <laughs> That's so. In the scene when he kills John uh, John MacGyver, this is when we really get Mort Saul's great scene. And when you have finished killing for him, he will pay you as he is paying me now. I won't be alive to pay off, but I'll lay you even money. I'm right, and I'll give you a price on how long before he gets you. Six to five, three days. <laughs> Let's talk let's give a little bit of time to talking about Mort Saul to people who don't know who he is.
2: <laughs> so seeing him in this movie is so weird. <laughs> because it would be like if Lenny Bruce showed up in a movie like this. This like Mort like like Mart Saul is known like he's not known by a lot of people, but like he did this very cerebral, you know, version of stand-up comedy. Um and then he got very obsessed with the Kennedy assassination.
3: (laughs) There was optimism when Kennedy was alive. We thought everything was possible. We didn't have any tangibles, but boy, did we feel good. And uh, that's all gone now. The social democrats in this country have a lot of guilt. They didn't stand up to Vietnam. They didn't stand up to the encroachment of the intelligence community. And they... They walked away from Jack Kennedy. The most they could come up with after he was shot in the street like a dog was to say he wasn't that good a president anyway. Yeah, they. Let me tell you, he had a strange group of friends. Remarkably absent when he fell. I didn't
2: even vote for him.
3: (laughs) I didn't want anything to, uh, you know jeopardize
2: the relationship which adds another layer like he constantly talked about and referenced the warren report in his stand-up bits a month after this movie came out for the rest of well, his not, life. the warren
0: report was a little bit later but yes <laughs> yeah, he yeah a was little later about... but like he was
2: yeah. obsessed with the kennedy assassination uh and right. talking about it and joking about it um very interesting that he's in this movie
0: so yeah just to give a little bit of background in the 19- 19 fifties when like said, Lenny Bruce is a good touchstone when he was breaking out the other two sort of big name comedians who were also pushing boundaries were Dick Gregory and Mort Sahl. That was a sort of the, the holy trio of these, I don't know, edgy comedians of that mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And basically Lenny Bruce was the sick one, Dick Gregory was the black one and Mort Sahl was the smart one. He's Mm -hmm. like, he was the intellectual, you know, and you hear like Lenny Bruce does, uh, you know, if you listen to Lenny Bruce talking about comedy, he'll talk about Mort Sahl as being just like the comedian's comedian. Comedians to me, the true comedian creates
4: everything he says. I'll give you examples of what I consider creative comics. Thinking comics. Mort Saul is a creative thinking comic. And this is how you can tell in a cafe. If you see Mort today, and then you see Mort a month and a half from now,
0: in the hour that he's appearing on the stage, you'll see about a new 20 minutes. So that's who Mort Saul is. And then in these scenes with Johnny Cool, it's It feels like he has more soul and gravitas than anyone else in this movie. It's just this kind of heartbreaking, but not even like heartbreaking for emotion, just heartbreaking because, wow, here's this guy who's, you know, first of all, he's Mort Saul, So I'm watching it thinking he's just, oh, it's great to see him. But the way he delivers his lines is with just like this sad intelligence and not there's no urgency to anything in this scene. Mm-hmm. It's what makes you kind of think, oh well, maybe they're gonna to work together. But yeah. no, Johnny just picks up a pillow and Kill shoots them. and shoots <laughs> And it's very sad. Why is Mortsall have to die? But as you said, the synchronicity is off the charts because again, this is just like another touchstone of JFK assassination something going on in this. So you were coming up on one of my favorite scenes where for a second, I thought we had Rodney Dangerfield showing up in this yeah, movie. I,
2: that's what my note said. I was like, who is this fake Dangerfield? Yeah.
0: <laughs> so Johnny cool as part of his cover puts a bunch of cameras on and acts like a Vegas tourist about to get on a bus. And the driver of the bus is an actor. He must be some Vegas character. He must be a comedian. The guy has such a crazy face, and I mean, he he does look and sound like Dangerfield. Oh, we should also mention that after Johnny Cool kills Mort Saul and leaves, the woman who was getting shaken down for bad checks comes out of the other room and is just sort of like, yes! Well, she's not, no, actually, she's not not psyched. (laughs) But inside, she's psyched. Outwardly, she seems horrified to see all this death, but inside, she knows, whew, I just dodged a bullet. I'm not going to have to sell my body on the strip to pay off my bad checks. So, boy, I'm just, I'm, we're just, this, this script, it's, it, it's so, it's, there's so much energy just describing it, let alone having to do all this killing. Uh, what, where are we at in this film? Where are we at in this film, Brian? <laughs> the bus driver.
3: <laughs> now, don't kibitz, we're not playing poker. I'm not kibitzing. Get it over
2: that line. I'm used
3: to farmers and hasties. But these guys take the cake. Get a load of Charlie Camera over there.
2: He don't gamble. He's got religion. Frisk him. Maybe he'll come up with a Bible. Oh, so the bus driver, that actor's name is Hank Henry. And he is in uh, Robin in the Seven Hoods. He's in Pal Joey. So like he's definitely like around these guys Sergeant's three. So he's in a lot of these movies with these
0: guys with a face and a voice like that you know of course how you know, how could he not be and he and he must have been a Vegas comedian because he died in Las Vegas
2: so like why would you be living in Las Vegas unless you were working in Las Vegas
0: right no offense to our listeners in Las Vegas there's i'm sure there's a lot of good reasons to live there uh, <laughs> Nope. nope <laughs> <laughs> So this is when we have this really, so finally, you know, so basically Elizabeth Montgomery has been just hanging out in her hotel room, missing Johnny, freaking out. Where is he? Where is he? And they have this big, he comes back and they have this big dramatic scene.
1: Intelligence
4: is not confined to men. Three days ago, my life was concerned with getting to the beauty parlor on time, getting my laundry ready for the cleaners, making my mind up about a new shade of lipstick. Well, there was something hidden deep in me that I didn't even know existed. Whatever it was, you freed it, and now my life is yours. And I'm telling you, Giordano, that you've got to finish what you started. Not for the man in Rome, but for yourself. Johnny Cool is a name. Giordano was a man. Be Giordano again. Do what he would do. why not Johnny I need you I need you right
0: now what do you think of that that scene was the one of the ones that I was just sort of like oh this is this is a bad movie but <laughs> <laughs> it's just like a like a lot of acting going on I didn't buy but it but it, it does fit into that trope of nice girls going after these bad men and it being you know definitely being her neuroses that makes her a, like she's chased still chasing after this guy and saying take me with you no mm-hmm. she's not trying to get away from him at all meanwhile the the mob calls finally gets in touch with the real johnny Collini and asks and they ask him if it's okay to kill henry silva and johnny and johnny colini is like yeah go ahead <laughs> I don't care. He's, he's not. Like, His work is done. killed all the people that I needed. So,
2: sure. Clean
0: it up. <laughs> uh, and meanwhile, there's a group of government men. This is the first time we see any semblance of the law who are hanging out in this glass room talking about a war breaking out and for the control of the syndicate and their need to find Johnny Cool. Mm-hmm. Of course, at this point, Johnny Cool is driving around, tooling around, Los Angeles, I believe, with Elizabeth Montgomery. She's driving as he fiddles around with a suitcase full of dynamite, and we meet his next target, another terrible, terrible person, an oil man swimming in a swimming pool, refusing to let his ex see their kids and taunting her with his power. So, uh, you know, he's he's this bad guy and and he won't let the kids see their mother and he's clear they want to see their mother and they even say a thing of like, He's like, come on in the pool. And they're like, okay. And one of the kids is like, I don't want to go in the pool. And he's like, well, you know how mad he gets. So this is this bat. he's abusive to his wife. He's abusive to his kids. He's swimming in this pool. He's an oil guy. Oh boy, we want him dead. Also, we're a little bit scared. Like, is he, you know, he's going to, he's swimming in the pool. Is Is Johnny Cool going to kill these kids? But he doesn't. But he does take advantage right there and becomes something of a, beach blanket bomber if you will <laughs> <laughs> and elizabeth Montgomery's freaked out she doesn't know like she doesn't know that they're going to kill someone and he just grabs the case throws it in the in the pool blows up the guy the kids are not killed and elizabeth montgomery is now really freaked out she's driving the the, the getaway car and Basically Johnny just leaves her with the car and goes to do some more killing. And this is when she starts to kind of realize that. "Eh, I've made a huge mistake. (laughs) (laughs) She sees a friend of hers at a hair salon who tries to invite her. And she's like, just leave me alone. I'm and then she goes out and sees the cops sniffing at her around her car. And so then she lets her friend take her to this party on a yacht. And then we see Elizabeth Montgomery. She's just a, a another drastic shift in tone. Now she's just a happy lady dancing and drinking wine and champagne, flirting with guys. Just no respect for Johnny Cool, who she's j- just moments before she was hanging out with. Now she's uh, she's just happy to flirt with guys on this yacht. That scene was a weird change in tone for me. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, finally, you know, we, we know he has to telly Savalas is the, is the big boss and Johnny has to take him down. So, uh, in a scene, which you'll, you could see in the previews, if you just look at the preview, Johnny cool finds his way onto one of the, one of those, I don't know, those platforms that the window cleaning guys use for cleaning, mm-hmm. uh, the windows of high rise buildings. He gets on one of those and he's super cash. He's just sitting on it, taking like tourist shots of of the city, maybe to send back to his, his friends in Italy. <laughs> and then when he gets to the top, he turns around, pulls out his machine gun, and shoots Telly Savalas through the window. The most bloodless and goofy of all of the deaths. I, I, Telly Savalas is a great actor, but he is bad in his death scene. <laughs> right? He just sort of like... He looks like a kid playing cops and robbers. (laughs) Definitely hit with some invisible bullets. (laughs) Yeah. Then, I mean, we're coming in basically on the end of the movie here. Johnny has a plan to meet with Elizabeth Montgomery at this restaurant in New York. And when she wakes up on the yacht after this night of dancing and... And drinking and flirting, she realizes what have I done? They call the authorities, but before that, she lets the mob know where they're going to be, where they're supposed to be meeting. So Johnny is walking into a meeting where he's going to get uh, going to get kiboshed. Meanwhile, her friends are trying to help uh, Elizabeth Montgomery to sort of play the victim in this. But she is ready to turn herself in. And in a really quick wrap up, Henry Silva gets taken by the mob, put in a straitjacket and is fighting all the way to what we imagine is going to be his death. But we don't really see it. It's just sort of like, okay, this guy we've been spending the whole movie with, he's going to get killed by these mobsters. But we don't really know exactly how or why. Did you yeah. get a sense of how they were going to kill him? No, it's like so vague and lackluster. <laughs> it's a very weird way to end a movie. I thought. Yeah, like isn't the isn't the gangster supposed to go down in a hail of bullets? Yeah, it should be like I, a, it,
2: like a good James Cagney ending, you know?
0: Yeah, in this it's just sort of like it's, you know, it's sort of it's sort of an it's a it's an it's Chinatown kind of ending but without the violence. It's just sort of like, well, that's the way the system wins. That's the way it works. This bad guy gets his comeuppance. Elizabeth Montgomery is good, and she turns herself in, and end of movie. (laughs) The end. (laughs) Really, like, this movie is just plowing along right up through Telly Savalas' death, and then the end just sort of has to have this weird morality tale. I just, I don't, this movie blows my mind. In so many ways. It's it's kind of... It's different, but it reminds me of Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, just in the sense of being like... I Like, this. this movie can't be as good or as bad as it seems. <laughs> it gets so many things right that you're not sure if it means to get right the way it's getting them right, and then it gets... I mean, I, I like Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. At least has a great ending, uh, yeah. this big ending. This this film this film is not as good as that, but it has that same feeling of like. I just feel like it's it it's very hard to be this bad in ways that are this good consistently. You know what I mean? Like it. Uh, yeah, it messes with my brain, Brian. It, and we <laughs> haven't even gotten into our really talking about. Like again, like how much this resonates with the JFK assassination and everything that came after it. We sort of touched on that to some degree. But uh yeah, you talk a little bit. I've been talking too much. This <laughs> film just There's so much plot in it and none of it makes sense. Well, it yeah, does it's make just, sense. It's
2: just yeah, it's just one of those weird things of like, are the parts that we're really into are those the parts we're supposed to be into? It's just sort of like, was this a movie directed by a guy who wasn't thinking about it as much, so the actors kind of did their thing, or the cinematographer, like, all the parts, all the interesting bits, is it purely accidental, or is this just a really smart, made, really smart movie, but done in this schlocky way? It's, a, like, because I I know that Beyond the Valley Dolls is made by smart people, like, Roger Ebert wrote it, Russ Meyer directed it, like, these are smart guys. These people, I don't know. <laughs> like, it's really <laughs> confusing. It is confusing, because you're like... There's so many hokey, dumb things in this movie. But then there's so many fascinating, interesting, you know, exciting things in this movie. And, like, did they intend the violence to be as troubling? Or were they trying to make it clean? Or were they just like, oh, if we don't show it, then, hey, this movie's not as upsetting. <laughs> but then it makes it more upsetting. It's like the ear scene in Reservoir Dogs. Like, the fact that we don't see it, your imagination is so much worse than anything in reality. Um, <laughs> and and you, it has that, like... It's it's not just because it's about Italian people, but like the fact that like it does like the beginning feels like Godfather, like when they're in Sicily. And you're right, the parts Mm -hmm. in like the bar kind of feel like Goodfellas, or like in Vegas, a little bit of casino. Like it definitely like if Martin Scorsese hadn't seen this movie, like I just don't believe it. Like he must have seen this movie. I mean, he's seen every movie, right? Isn't that his thing? But like, (laughs) but like it feels like. And it's weird that it's a movie that touches on all these things and yet neither of us had seen it until a few months ago and nobody cares about this movie and nobody talks about this movie. This movie's totally just forgotten about and thrown on the pile, you know? Um, But it's clearly a very fascinating thing. Like, we've been talking about this for over an hour, you know? Like, there's a lot to unpack in this movie.
0: Yeah. I, th- I can't imagine what it must have been like to see it at the time because I... Th- Watching it now, you're right. There's everything about this movie that hits me is based upon things that happened chronologically after the movie. Whether it's that Henry Silva didn't ever start, like never starred in another movie, or that the Kennedy assassination happened, or that, you know, that gangster films became such a prestige touchstone in like in 19 like in 1963 what scarface you know there there weren't that many like like up until this point
2: no it was not a thing it was it was like you'd have gangsters in movies you'd have like film noir which had gangster characters in it you'd have yeah like like the killing but they're more like they're not really gangsters in that they're like robbers so you'd have crime was right. definitely around, but like not like not gangsters in the way that we think of like Sopranos, Goodfellas, Godfather, which is clearly what this movie is about. Um, yeah. And just like the yeah. carefree way in this, which people are murdered in this movie <laughs> is very weird. It's like, we keep talking about it, but like it is, I feel like the strangest part of this movie is like these guys are just going all over, like just killing Jim Beck is like literally in a crowd on the street and being able to walk away from that is bizarre. And then that really does lead into the whole thing with the JFK assassination of like here we're just going to shoot this guy in broad daylight from a building in a huge crowd of people. You know? And like that's very much what this the violence in this movie feels like. <laughs> it's just like it's like a handshake, you know? <laughs> like it's
0: very weird. Yeah. 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 Uh, I I I hope we encourage people to find this film. It's not a. It's not a, a really hard. Where did you find it? They. It's actually on. Um, I believe it was just on Amazon
2: Prime, for free. Yeah. Yeah. It has. It doesn't even have a poster. It just says Johnny Cool, no image at all. <laughs> so it's just like it's not
0: going to appeal to anyone unless they're looking for it. You know. Yeah, but this. I mean, to me, it was the cast that got me, but the film. There's just, there's no other, you couldn't, it would be impossible to make this film if you were trying to make it, again, because so much of what's exciting about it is stuff that the film had no idea was going to happen. Yeah. Like, the film doesn't know that that's that's Sam from Bewitched. Yeah. But we do. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And that makes it really... It just it makes it something it not just something in terms of like who she is as an act as an actress, but it just cements this time again. It's like what I said in my intro when I watch this film, when they talk about the end of innocence that JF that the JFK assassination sort of symbolizes this film feels like it is just st- Steeping in that innocence, but it's not really like it's aware that all this shit is going on. it's but it's like that. it's just like it has no sense of the impact of it all. it feels like, like oh, it's... yeah, there's mobsters going around killing people, but it's gonna kill your president this you know, <laughs> in a month, this in month. A thick, yeah
2: it's like it feels like it's weird because it has this feeling of innocence, but then it also feels like it's on the stove and it's it's starting to boil, you know, like that it's like the, it can't contain its innocence much longer. You know, like it's 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 this movie stuck in the middle of like here's this leftover way of how we make movies and show violence, but we're gonna like really want to show it, but we can't show it. But man, we really want to, and it's just sort of like it feels like a pot boiling; it's about to boil over.
0: Yeah, there's a there's a line that Samantha that Samantha that uh, Elizabeth <laughs> Elizabeth Montgomery, whose character is named Darian Dare Guinness, Dare sure. Guinness. Like, uh but she has when she's talking to her friends, she's like
4: underworld. I always thought it was a word for the movies. Well it's not, it exists. Right out there, just below what you can see. A whole world full of monsters.
0: And I feel like the film has that line in it, and it's there, and maybe that's it. Maybe like they're hanging out in Vegas with all these guys, and these mobsters are there. Maybe it is. Maybe the maybe William Asher as a director is genuinely sort of terrified of the violence of these people. But he just has no idea. (laughs) Like he knows that they're bullies in person and that they like they have reputations for doing stuff. And so they hear stories like this is the whole world full of monsters. But I feel like this film is just standing on the gateway of all of those monsters spilling out into the future Nixon administration and (laughs) (laughs) Vietnam and like even that thing when they drive up the when John when Henry Silva and Elizabeth Montgomery drive up these these Hollywood Hills to go and kill this guy I'm I'm watching that and I can't help but think of the Mansons yeah (laughs) even her she's like a Manson girl you know she's like this girl who is totally into this murderer guy Like she's a pro. Again, all of these things are proto. She's a proto Manson girl and he's a proto whoever the the guys were on the grassy knoll. I don't know. This is this. I actually I I really was looking forward to talking about this. But now that we are talking about it, I love this film even more. I guess we should also mention that that it comes from a novel called The Kingdom of Johnny Cool that was written by John McPartland. And he was this famous pulp novelist who basically became successful writing virulently anti-communist literature, first for the army and then just for publishing. And again... It's in this soup of that time, like when you get into talking about JFK, you also have to talk about communism and anti-communism and mm-hmm. the Cold War and whether we're ramping it up or ramping it down. I haven't read the book, but I am curious about it. Although this guy, the writer seems like not my, not personally my cup of tea. But, uh... <laughs> He's dead now. It's fine yeah so uh <laughs> anything else before we uh before we shift anything else to say no, about this I think film? We, Any closing words
2: i think we did a good job doing justice of a movie that no one has really thought to sit and talk about i'm very proud of us
0: yes also features a wonderful score from billy may that you'll be hearing throughout this episode Ooh. the new york comedy club podcast is back with brand new episodes interviews and jokes take a look behind the curtain as we discuss all aspects of the comedy world the origin of a joke the writing process the business side of things and well things that are just funny get to know your favorite comedians discover new comics and get a first-hand look inside the make them laugh business with the new york comedy club podcast brought to you by paper house network
2: so andras we can find you on your own show the radio eight ball show where you ask questions and you answer them by picking songs at random. And now you've been doing this thing where the questions that you've been asking have been kind of related to the episodes we've been doing, the movies we've been doing. You did one on Solo. Uh, last week you did one on, J- on John Bryan. So what what the heck are you going to ask for this? I'm guessing Kennedy-related? Uh,
0: maybe. Maybe. I guess the thing... The thing I'm thinking about about this is sort of the maybe the reason I'm so intrigued by this picture is because it functions in the way that I intend Radio 8-Ball to function in that, you know, when we ask a question on the show and then pick a song at random and then interpret that answer, like this film, we don't know what's really happening in the world at the moment when we ask this question, Mm. even in the world at large. And a lot of times we don't even know what's really going on in our own world. Mm -hmm. Like what's, what's going to happen later on in the day. That's going to make that question be like, Whoa, I can't believe I was asking that because this other thing happened that I had no idea about. And we've had so many experience. I've had so many experiences on the show of that happening that I've come to trust. That's kind of just the nature of, doing divinations is that you get an answer and you know what it means in the moment but give it a little bit of time yeah. and all of these other things will be revealed Yeah, and this film like it's almost like if you told me that they like every morning they got up and just threw the I Ching and used that to like determine how they were going to make it <laughs> that would make more sense to me than thinking that someone thought this out. Sat down um, and yeah. <laughs> Because you couldn't, again, because that's what I say, like when I, when people are like going to be guests on Radio 8 Ball and they're like, how can I prepare? I'm like, you can't. It's like, it's the one show you can't rehearse for because you don't know the good parts. You won't, you won't even know the good parts while they're happening. The good parts are the parts that you aren't even aware of are happening and that the listener later on is like, oh yeah, that person was going to get assassinated and they asked this question about da 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 or you know, anyway, there's a lot of examples of that kind of thing happening. So uh, what I'm going to ask about, maybe something about that dynamic, you know, uh, but it might be about the JFK assassination, too. It might be about, uh, I don't know. I don't know. When we get there, we'll we'll find out. Again, it's sort of like this. We're recording this months before that happens. So who knows? Who knows what the world will be like then and what will be on my mind? Uh, but one thing is for sure. Is uh, when that comes out, you'll still be putting out the director's wall, the <laughs> podcast that you do with AJ Gonzalez, where you uh, celebrate a filmmaker's entire career. You started off with M Night Shyamalan. You're in the middle of looking at Francis Ford Coppola, and I love that. I love that podcast. It's um... I I I was talking with AJ Gonzalez recently. He's uh, he's going to be a guest on an upcoming show. And I was telling him that when I, uh, whenever I listen to your podcast with him, it's not like I get jealous or competitive, but I always just feel like, damn, there's so that show is so much better than ours. <laughs> I, and then I was listening to him, and he was like, it, it, when we was talking to him, he's like, you know, I have the exact same feeling when I watch it, when I listen to your podcast. Yeah. So grass you know, uh,
2: is always greener, you know. It's. <laughs>
0: Not for you. You're you're the one who's part of both. We're you know it's not like we were like two people who are like going out with the same person who are like, yeah. But at least Brian's great, and he's like, yeah. At least Brian's great on both. Oh, we love Brian so much. Oh gosh, <laughs> his endearing laugh. Oh, we love him. He's like he's the Mortal of this oh, of this project. Kind. <laughs> but uh, but I am curious. Have you considered doing a director's wall on William Asher? <laughs>
2: Too much TV, man. I can't. That's it'll go on for a lifetime. I think we're gonna definitely lean towards people that don't do a lot of TV because one, it's hard to find that stuff, and we always want to do justice to the filmmaker and make sure we watch everything we can get. So, like the idea of trying to figure out how do I get the Bad News Bears TV show, you know, do I want to sit through that? (laughs) Like, no, I don't want to do that. So, I think it's if he was more movies than TV, then, uh, you know, maybe it would be an interesting person to definitely try to figure out. But I think it's just too much television, unfortunately. I don't know.
0: I I don't know. This sounds like, that sounds like, you know, it's one of those weird things where, like, we're not going to hire you, but the reason isn't because you're bad. It's because, (laughs) oh, well, there's, you just don't have the training that we, uh, oh, you, you know, you're too... You're overqualified for the position. Like, Maybe. You would never do... Would, would you... Okay, say if you just focused on William Asher's films, would you consider doing a William Asher director's wall?
2: Never. Never? Okay. I got an honest answer out of you. There, there, There's so many filmmakers in this world. I don't think we need to do William Asher. I think we did him justice with this episode. Good enough.
0: We we certainly have we certainly have. <laughs> so if you have any thoughts about this, uh, you know, suggestions, ideas, things we missed, we love we love hearing from you uh, when we do. And you can reach out to us through our website at contact at the world is wrong You can also find us on Instagram at the world is wrong podcast. You can also call Brian personally at this number. No, no, I'm not going <laughs> to get that out. Uh, you can also find uh, merchandise on our website. We'd love to see if you if you buy one of our t-shirts or our sweatshirts, take a picture, send it to us. We'll post it on Instagram. Um, uh, what else should I tell people before we before we get out of here? Brian? I think we're,
2: I think we're good. Uh, you know you're sure you, we didn't lo- for,
0: we didn't leave anything on the table we didn't forget to don't kill anybody
2: off screen and tell me about it or on yeah
0: <laughs> well uh well i hope you enjoyed this this podcast as much as we enjoyed making it and until next time oh wait we forgot to tell you what is next time what are we going to be talking oh, about in our, our we next episode?
2: are going to dive into the world of tyler perry with Temptation, Confessions of a Marriage Counselor. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Feeling dirty. <laughs>
0: yeah. Get ready. Get ready for this. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's what we'll be doing next week on The World is Wrong Podcast. And until that time, people, just remember, wherever you are, whenever you are, the world is wrong And it's probably wrong about you.
1: This is the story of Johnny Cool. It tells the tale of his life. They say Johnny was meant to be... And content to be mixed up in sorrow and strife He lived by the gun and by the knife Johnny Cool, Johnny Cool He lived by the gun and by the knife Johnny Cool, Johnny Cool If you were friendly to Johnny Cool You were just playing the fool They say Johnny was friend to none Friend to only one he went by this simple rule that his only friend was Johnny Cool. Johnny Cool, Johnny Cool. Yes, his only friend was Johnny Cool. Johnny Cool, Johnny Cool. Coo. Because he thought life had abused him, he went on a murderous fling. But he didn't know that they used him like. On a string, Johnny Cool. Love never mattered to Johnny Cool. Each doll day, him was the same. Till one babe blinked her eyes at him, sighed some sighs at him. His icy heart turned to flame. And Johnny was never quite the same. Johnny Cool. One day they caught up with Johnny Cool, Just like they promised they would They left real fear of death in him And some breath in him They beat him till he understood he paid for his evil ways But good And so ends the story Of a fool Johnny The fool that was known As Johnny Coo.
2: And I'm AJ. And we have a podcast called The Director's
0: Wall. Examining a filmmaker's career, film by film. First up was M. Night Shyamalan, then Francis Ford Coppola. Who's next? Is there anything to this whole auteur theory? Find out on The Director's Wall. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher,
2: or your preferred listening platform.